guys. Welcome to Notorious Women Podcast. I'm Lavetta. I'm Miriam. And this is Notorious Women, a comedy podcast about some of history's most notorious women. That's right. Hey, hey. Before we got on mic, we were just talking about the show uh, Fleischman's in Trouble. And so Miriam I'm, was I'm so impressed to remember up. the name of the show. I am the worst at names of shows. Um, I had to look it yeah. up actually yesterday. I was telling a friend about it. So it's like this. Okay. So like, I'm so glad you brought it up too. Cause I, I finished it and it's like in your head and I haven't talked yeah. about it yet. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that Claire Danes performance is, ugh, if you guys haven't really, checked it out, you need to, if you're watching it and you're kind of in the middle and you're on the fence, I would say, keep going. Yeah. Cause like I wasn't, maybe I was like fancy. Is that a word? It is now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then you keep going for like Claire Danes, like, oh, she's so good. So good. Oh, if she doesn't get nominated for an Emmy, I will, I will be very, very surprised. But um, I guess we should get started on our Notorious Women. This week, you okay. are first, my I'm friend. Fr- oh, right. Okay. You know I don't yes. know. Yes. Who's, who's your okay. Notorious Woman for me this week? So it's a, okay. So I found somebody to talk about that is still very much alive, seemingly doing very well. Okay, I'm scared. Uh huh. No, don't be scared. No, She's I'm intrigued great. actually. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the one who's scared of the people you choose. Right? <laughs> uh, this woman, okay, she, her name is Angela Hovac Johnston. Have you heard of her? Angela Hovac Johnston. No. Mm-hmm. If if she's listening, hey girl. Okay, she is. I think they pronounce it an Inuk woman. Oh. So she's native Canadian. Is that what yeah. you would say? Inuik. I have no idea. Inuik. Wow. I think you say it's Inuik. Inuik. Um, she was raised in the land of, okay, I apologize. I do not. I'm going to do my very best to pronounce You should have looked things. up how to pronounce it. Did you do that? But like... it's so fast. <laughs> it's so fast. It is fast. And I, you know... I'm I'm old now, so my ears. Okay, <laughs> the, it's the land of the Kitikmiut, Kitikmiut okay. region of Nunavut, Nunavut, Nunavut. That's it. Uh, and she was raised there until she was sent away to school. Um, she's uh, and this is in Canada, so it, it's very north of like gorgeous area so when she was a child she lived in outpost camps in that region and she was always very inspired by her culture um a quote from her with my parents we would travel to mm, kugluktuk kugluktuk all right <clears throat> sorry and i'd see this inuk woman she had tattoos on her face I was always so attracted to that and thinking those are so amazing. So just so you know, I got my information from the Nanuvet News. And also there was an article from the CBC, this Canadian broadcasting. Um, and I, I that that is how I got the information I have. Okay. Um, so Kakinit, I know that I said that wrong, but I mean, it sounds Israeli the way I say it. <laughs> Um, so. I mean, I don't know. I don't you sound like it sounds better than how I would say it. I was like, I'm like, Lovetta, yeah. how, how do I say it? Like, oh. um, 
What they are, they are the traditional tattoos of the Inuit of the North American Arctic. The practice is done almost exclusively among women, with women exclusively tattooing other women with the tattoos for various purposes. So men could also receive tattoos, but they were uh, often much less extensive than the tattoos a woman would receive. Facial Aww. tattoos are individually referred to as tunit. Tunit. Something like that. To, it, we can look at, you can look at the spelling in the article. Um, and it would mark an individual's trans, transition to womanhood. The individual tattoos bear unique meaning to Inuit women, with each ta individual tattoo carrying symbolic meaning. Historically, the practice was done for aesthetic, medicinal purposes, part of the Inuit religion, and to ensure the individual access to the afterlife. So oh. that's that's what those are. New information for me. Yeah, um, me too. Surprise, Christian missionaries during the 20th century. Oh, God. Here we mm -hmm. go. So they persecuted the people and this practice. What? No. I know, no. right? It's shocking. I don't believe you. That doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. Like, why would I lie? <laughs> of course they did. Of course Obviously. Did. Yeah. <laughs> That's not something I do. Stop! All right. Okay. Uh, and it almost disappeared. And uh, mm. they, missionaries and residential schools taught that the markings were shameful and soon the practice faded. So we've talked about this before, how, like, if you don't know what they would do is they would take children away from their families and put them into these schools to what well, i mean they used words like civilized and words like americanized yeah. and it would be you know yeah beat their history out of them is this is what the goal was and they were terrible how, like, they were terrible i just love it how like the bloodthirsty europeans are like yeah. you people aren't civilized let's take your children now it's really disgusting you. and it it makes me like, was there anybody who truly believed that this was the best for them? Do you know what I'm saying? Well, the thing is, is that, you know, you know, as an actor, like as a performer, like you, you can't believe the person you're playing. People don't believe that they're evil. Oh, that's right. True. Like, that, that is, no, I so know. the mental gymnastics that colonizers have to put themselves through and then indoctrinate their children, like. No, they're I just savages. feel like that's, like, that's yeah, such like, a level of mental gymnastics. We're going to oh, take girl. your children, okay, for your Welcome good. to the modern world, right? Like, I mean, people now are trying to take, you know, people's children who are, um, you know, uh, of the Rainbow Coalition, trans children, non-binary yeah. children, and oh, like, shit, like you're abusing them. And it's like, no, they're actually taking care of their children by listening yeah. to their children. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, which is so much better than yeah. anything else that had Let's ever happened. Let's put them happened. in the system where they might get abused, uh, raped, and molested, and like from their parents who are just listening to them. I, I love how child abuse is listening. So that's, let me I, get off my yeah. soapbox, but that's a whole nother mm. thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You could preach. You could preach. Preach that. Wow. What, what you said. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so this happened. But so this fact that she learned, it horrified her. And she decided that she was going to set out and change this practice. So 
She started with eyeliner and she practiced on herself. She would take the eyeliner and she, quote, I tried different markings on my face to get the right symbol. I thought I'm going to walk around with these to see if I'm confident enough because I know I'll get stares. I'll, I know I'll get questions. Am I ready for that? And she says, I walked around for a week before I knew I needed them permanently. So then. Wow. So she's she, getting in touch with her traditions. Her, she's getting in touch with her traditions and her, traditions. and her culture and her, yeah. and who she is, right? Um, it took her three more years to find the right person to tattoo her permanently. So she says, quote, I always wanted an Inuk woman to do it, but there was nobody mm. practicing that traditional tattoo method anymore, she said. Uh, and at the same time, uh, the last Inuk woman with tattoos, with face tattoos had died. And so oh. she felt, I think I was a little desperate to, to do it, to carry on the tradition. Um, she wrote, I thought she quote, I thought this can't be, this is going to be a history. We just read in the books again of our culture. So she researched and she spread the word far and wide communities. Uh, people had heard about it was done, but they, they had never seen it done. Then she considered the modern tattoo gun, which is what like you and I know what we would see if we walked into a tattoo shop. Right. Um, but she said, quote, I'd go into tattoo parlors and walk right back out. I wanted the connection. There was just something missing there. It didn't feel personal enough. Right. So her husband, who was a teacher, had a 17 year old student who uh, turned out was passionate about tattoos. Uh, the art and the application. The student had a binder filled with Inuit tattoos and Inuit stories, even though he's not Inuk. Um, and so that's who she got to do her first tattoos. Uh, she, she writes, she says, that's how passionate he became. His bedroom was his tattoo parlor and it was the most sanitary place I've ever seen. He didn't even sleep there. I had a great connection with him. He did a wonderful job. So this was- wow. What year is this? This is like 2015. It just happened. Oh, wow. It's very recent. So the first tattoo was by the modern gun method, but she now has traditional hand-stitched and hand-poked tattoos. Hand-stitching involves a thread wet with ink stitched through the skin with a sewing needle. So that sounds horrifying to me and maybe to you, but... She, she says, it looks the, like the scariest, but it's the least painful. It takes the longest, too. You feel the person, you feel the stitching, you feel everything. You just have so much more personal con connection to each other. And hand poking involves simply poking the ink into the skin, and it's next in terms of the least pain. Uh, tattoos in the traditional methods heal more quickly than a tattoo carved in the skin with a gun, which is noisy and the most painful. Huh. So 11 years after first seriously thinking about getting uh, an Inuit tattoo, um, after she traced with an eyeliner pencil on her face, she organized the Inuit Tattoo Revitalization Project. The six-day project took place in, okay, I said this, this place before, I'm going to say it again, Kugluktuk. I think that was pretty good. I think that, uh, yeah. Yeah, right? Uh, Sounds in pretty April, good to me. <laughs> I'm trying. Thank you. Uh, in April of 2016, there she applied her first facial tattoo with a tattoo gun and an arm tattoo, her first by the traditional stitching method, both on a woman named Millie Angulalik. Um, so between getting her first tattoo and then learning how to apply them, 
See, she researched while raising her boys and working. That sounds hard to me. So she yeah. finally quit her job and devoted herself full time to organizing that workshop. Uh, she, she says, quote, I needed to. It was time. It's so important. I've been putting it off for too long. So she yep. put together many proposals for funding because she says, and I love this, I didn't want any of the women to pay. So much was taken from us. Why should we pay for something that's been taken from us? Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. Very true. I love that. That's a word. Um, but the Canada came through, y'all. Uh, the Canada Council for the Arts, not just Canada. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> not just the white people is what I really meant to say. Yeah. You heard, yeah. Uh, Ekati Dominion Diamond, Kikiak. I'm just going to say things and maybe you know what I'm saying. I'm not really sure. Oh, okay. But I don't want to, I want to give them credit. Yeah. Uh, the Northern Arts and Cultural Center, Coppermine Inn, the hamlet of Kukluktuk. Okay. Okay. Super 8 Yellowknife and the Tahikyok IBA Heritage Fund all made the project possible. Uh, and she wanted a whole group of women to participate. Now, she planned for a dozen women and 26 joined. Wow. I mean. The need is out there. Yeah. Yes. And it's yeah. so interesting to me because as like a white person born in America and very much immersed in 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 American culture for best, you know, even I'm Jewish, but it was still like we're American. The idea of a face tattoo is is daunting. Like Well, you know, also because we associate it with uh, Mike Tyson biting on somebody's ear and gangs. Well, but you don't yeah. realize but you realize also people who are really in the tattoos understand the history of them, that they yes. were a lot of times cultural at first and like even the technique in which they used to do it. Uh, tells you that it was a cultural um, marker uh, yes. within the society. So, and yeah. I also like in my in my heart, I my initial was, oh God, you're gonna mar your face, right? I'll say yeah. that. Then I look at the pictures of these women, and they're, they're beautiful, so beautiful. Yeah. They're so beautiful. It is, it's different than like. Again, Mike Tyson getting—I don't know what he got on his face, but like and gang either. members, like they do it you know, for different reasons and like, but something that's like culturally, I remember years ago, I saw The Rock. He got the, uh, he was saying how like, in Samoan um, culture, like you start to get uh, the tattoo of your life on your body. Oh, like Maui. Yeah, like, and so I was like, <laughs> From oh, Moana. that was so, so when you see it and when you're looking at yeah. these things in that context, you're like, oh, and I think people were really into tattoos, even like modern Americans, you know, yeah. who are only, who are not, you know, from uh, a native tribe or any like cultural tradition that has tattoo and as part of its cultural heritage. But people who are into tattoos would tell you it's very spiritual, like people who I, are really, yeah. I'm so far away from that. Like yeah, I grew up with such a conservative you know, my, I remember a friend was dating a guy. She didn't want to introduce him to her family. I was like, introduce him. And she's like, he has a face tattoo. And I was like, don't do that. Don't bring him home. You know? <laughs> yes. I so mean, I, it's, yeah. I have a, I come from a very narrow point of view when it comes to that. So it's really like kind of eye opening to me. How like also, I'm like, a, I'm just a chicken. I'm a scaredy cat. And like, I'm very sensitive, but so interesting, like, putting the thread through 
the body yeah. is less painful. But it's interesting because obviously this this practice has been perfected throughout, you know, probably thousands For of years in this culture. I mean, so yeah, yeah, they figured out how to make it less painful. But you know, again, to our, with like our modern when, sensibilities, when it was done right, we didn't have an antibiotic you could get right. on if there was a problem. Right. So they knew how to do it. It's really interesting. Right. And yet we don't do that, but we could just get the antibiotic. But isn't it better to not do, isn't it better to do it slower and better? Right? Yeah. And I, I, I love it that the women would do it for yes. each other. I think that's really interesting. It was, it, I love that it was, it was much more than a tattoo, that it was a spiritual connection yeah. to your ancestors you know, yeah. both both living now doing it for you and and who have passed on. I think that that's it's kind of blown my mind. Yeah. My wow. Clearly very narrow mind. Um, I mean, growing. that's why we have this. It's yeah. growing. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Um, so the she uh, invited two other tattoo artists, Marjorie Tabon, an Inupiat tattoo artist, I might be close when I said that word. I, I tried. So. Uh, she's from she's from Nome, Alaska, and she practiced the traditional method. And Denise Nozelski from Yellowknife, um, and Johnston also. They tattooed women from thirteen to fifty six years of age over six days. They were thirteen to fourteen hour days. Crazy! Wow. It was a life changing experience of reclaiming their heritage. So beautiful. Uh, she says, quote, I wish everyone could experience this. It was a connection to our people, a connection to our culture, a connection to our ancestors, everything, all in one. It got everybody talking from young to old, the whole community coming together, talking and celebrating. Um, that just makes me cry. <laughs> I know. I love that. Love, love, love that. Uh, she said a community feast was held for the women once the project was completed. Um, and it's so, she says this, she says, I have a lot of quotes today. Okay. She says, there was just so much fear, so much shame from when the missionaries came and the residential schools started. So the elders now were the young people at that time when it was being banned and frowned upon. The elders were still feeling some of those feelings. This sort of broke that and we're being taught again to embrace it. Um, bringing back the tradition isn't just about women being tattooed, but also about Inuit doing the tattooing themselves. And she says, it was so bothersome to me that we didn't have anybody because we have so many talented seamstresses, so many talented Inuit women all over Canada, all over the world. I'm a seamstress. I worked with skins. I worked with hides my whole life. I wanted to learn how to do this because that would be the start of bringing it back. It's just wow, amazing to me. Um, I love this. Love, she, love, love this. I'm just going to keep quoting her because I love okay. her. And she's around. So like if we could be best friends, I would be okay with that. <laughs> she says, when you're We're not cool enough, Miriam. I'm sorry I, to tell like, you. Like I'm so cool aware of that. Like <laughs> I'm like throwing it out there in the universe. But like I also know that she's better than me. And that's fine. Right? That's fine. That's fine. okay. That's okay. We, we, we all have dream. our place in this right. world. And mine right. is... Lower. It's fine. So she says, when you're tattooing, you're not just a tattoo artist. You become a counselor. You're thinking of your ancestors. You're thinking of your family. You're thinking of your past. So much comes out during the process. And she said they had one full day 
to spend on the land to recharge and gather themselves up before continuing with the project. Um, she now tattoos using the traditional way of stitching and poking. And she, I, I think she also uses the modern gun. I wonder if it's also about what the person, if the person is like, I don't, I don't want to sit here for too long. I would right. rather, you know, because it really is a connection. So I wonder if that's how they choose which method to use. Oh yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, cause I think it yeah. matters to, to the heart, like how, you know, my mother got this one. I would like the same way, you know? Yeah. That yeah, makes exactly. Sense. Um, so, and she says, we want Inuit women doing Inuit women tattoos. She says it just makes yep. so much sense for our people to be doing this for our people. Yep. Um, and she's happy to, she's okay. So I read this articles came out in 2016 and 2017. So I like, there might be more <laughs> that I don't know. Um, the, the article says that more than 80 women have received tattoos through this project and more than 50 were done by her. But I mean, there might be so much more than that at this point. Yeah. I, I hope, I hope hopefully. So. Yeah, yeah. I hope so too. Um, she's, she's on Facebook. You can go to the Inuit tattoo revitalization project. Uh, she also has a cool Instagram page, which I stalked. I'll say it. I stalked it. <laughs> it's just really cool. She does like, she does a lot of, a lot of different things that, opens your blows your mind opens your mind she also way has a cooler book than out. us so much cooler lavetta i mean yes. listen i watch a lot of baking shows <laughs> and i can bake some cookies yeah. um but you know when the recipe is like 25 minutes from start to finish and uh -huh. two and a half hours have gone by and you're waiting for your first <laughs> batch to come out i mean that's where i'm at right now it's fine it's a process okay. meanwhile she can like hide skin from the way and get I don't, I don't actually know what animal I saw her. It was amazing. Okay. Wow. Um, her book is called Reawakening Our Ancestors' Lines, Revitalizing Inuit Traditional Tattooing. Um, and then she said, this is another quote. It carries family identity and spiritual protection. Most of the women say that they feel whole now. They feel like themselves. They feel Inuk. It makes me crazy that women feel they aren't Inuk enough because they don't speak their language or they don't have brown skin. It's sad that there are things like this planted into someone's head. When you're Inuk, carry on your traditions. And then she says, this is very important. And for non-Inuit who find these methods and markings intriguing, she says, this was taken away from us. Let us take this back. I know non-Inuit women, even men, wanting tattoos because some of them are so appealing. Please don't do that. Please let Inuit <laughs> women take this back first. I don't know why I have to say that and to clarify that, but I do know I think why. you do. Because yeah, people do. are dumb and you right. need to say it straightforward. And even still, they'll be like, but, but, but. What like, can I? No. Like, I can look at these pictures of these women and see how beautiful they are with these with these tattoos like it's beautiful but i can just appreciate that yeah. you know also there are other ways to honor a culture that you admire yes. that you're not a part of um maybe you can get another tattoo that is an homage to them but not get these kinds of tattoos because or, they are not for you or are they selling artwork you could purchase for your home 
Exactly. Oh, run so, them their money. Run yeah. them their money. Okay. Reparations. Reparations. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah. Keep talking. So, Forever. Buy the goods that they're selling. <laughs> yeah. You want to honor a culture. I love Japanese culture. I am not Japanese. Um, and You're I not? am also respectful. No, I'm not Japanese. I'm just kidding. I know. I, uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we're friends so there is a, we all yeah. honor cultures that um particularly when you honor when you admire a culture that's been um ostracized and you know been done dirty you got to be respectful you know so and i, I really it, it, yeah. always know that line that is why she has to be this clear and say it because <laughs> people are like no i, I know, know that i would <laughs> like to i'm gonna go to my local tattoo parlor Cut out this picture I found online and say, do this yeah. to my face. Don't do that. Don't do Don't do Stop. that. Nope. Yeah. She's telling you so, right now. That's why she has to be yep. this clear. Yes. And she does. And she is. She's honestly like, we're going to follow her on Instagram. Be like yes. awkwardly stalking her. But out of like love. Um, yeah. But she's incredible. She's incredible. Wow. And what's her name again? Her name is... I'm biding time because I don't want to This is for our listeners. Yes. And her, <laughs> I got it. I'm ready. I have, I found my You're paper. ready? Angela Hovac Johnston. Angela Hovac Johnston. Thank you so much. She is cool. Too cool for us. Yeah. But we'll try. We'll try. Try. Um, she's All a right. lot cooler than my lady this week. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Bring it. <laughs> my lady <laughs> this week is not a murderess because, you know, oh. I love a murderess. Uh, oh, that's weird. Okay. A woman who likes to stab, 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 mm. chop, hack. Uh, uh-huh. Unless it's children, then I'm just disgusted. But no, unfortunately, there are a yeah. lot of them. Um, but my lady is not a, a a murderer of physical bodies, but she is what? a murderer of... Uh, she She's a bitch. Uh, not the kind that I like. Oh, no. Because I, like, I like a good bitch. No? We like a good bitch. Uh, this woman bitch? is... Okay. Yeah, um, I I was inspired to do this because not only is like, you know how we have these terrible Karens and Karen is not a slur. So shut shut your face. Uh, these terrible in the South, I'm we used sorry, to call Levetta, these kind of white women. Lavetta, uh, I'm so Anne's. sorry. I need you to stop for just a moment and I need you to get me your manager right okay. now, right now, because this <laughs> is unacceptable. It is unacceptable. In fact, no, I need the owner. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, there's there's so many of them. We've always known. Black people know these women have always existed, but I just because of phones, cell phones, and cameras on cell phones, now they actually <laughs> we can filmed. catch them. Yeah, we can catch them in the midst of full full Karen meltdowns, but because there's so many terrible women, um, particularly in our Congress in America here. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Terrible women. So I just, I was like, you know, I want like the thing about these women, like some of these women now, we don't know what their lives are going to be like. We don't know if they're going to get their comeuppance or not, but it's just interesting. Like, because you think karma doesn't always work the way we would like in real time or in, I mean, in our lifetimes. Yeah. Um, so I just, I'm inspired by this woman also is part of Hollywood. You know, we're, we're performers, we're in the industry. And so I, it's just, a lot of people have heard this name, but they may not know who this woman is. So my notorious woman this week is Hedda Hopper. 
Hedda Hopper. Uh, Hedda Hopper. I, so I, when I get into it. I like it. it. I want to say all the H words now. I know. And that was Hi, not on purpose. So. Hedda Hopper. How so, are you? Okay, I'll stop. It's kind of like. Hopper. And how do you feel Hedda be Hampshire? I, I was going to say, this feels happened? like a warm up before the theater. Hedda Hopper, Hedda like, Hopper hopped. It sounds like my <laughs> fair lady. It had if it had if it hapsha. Anyway. That was, that so. was really good. I'm not going to repeat it because I can't do it as well. That was really good. Okay, go on. <laughs> I'm such a nerd. So, yes. um, so Hedda Hopper was born Elda Fury. That's Oh, her. my God. <laughs> I, feel like it, I feel like you just yelled at me. Okay. <laughs> Elda Fury to okay. a Pennsylvania Dutch family. They spoke okay. German. Okay. On May 2nd, 1885 oh. in Hollingsburg, Pennsylvania to Margaret Miller and David Fury, a butcher. So oh. she came from a very humble family. Yeah. She's a country girl. What we did is a country farm girl. She was uh, one of seven children. Whew. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot of babies. It's a lot, a lot of, of yeast babies. infections. I'm just... I just, that's a lot of pregnancy. That just feels like. Uh, now. You know, a, a kitchen yeah. would be closed. Okay. What women used to do back then. I just can't. Yeah, so when she was real. three, though, the family moved to Altoona nearby, uh, okay. a town nearby where she stayed for the rest of her life. Now, when she was about 16, um, like a lot of young women, like a lot of people who are from like small towns, it is nothing to do there. You just like, I want to yeah. get the hell out of here. Uh, so when she was 16, she ran, I said she ran away, but she probably just moved because at 16, uh, so she would have been, this would have been 1901. Oh, so, so she was a grown up. She was, 16 yeah. year olds were grown ups back then. Back then. She went to New York City and began her career in the chorus. As oh. a chorus girl on uh, the Broadway stage. Okay. Um, but she was eventually asked by <laughs> the renowned Schubert brothers. Oh, I love that theater. I got the feeling that she wasn't very good at it. Because I would imagine growing up in Altoona that there wasn't a lot of opportunities to get proper dance training, musical training. But can we training. talk about the difference between getting on Broadway then and getting on yes. Broadway now? Because you're not yeah. like, oh, not a great dancer, but welcome to Broadway. Like, that yeah. does not happen. No, I know, no. because Broadway said no thank you to me. <laughs> I'm just, you know, except People, for the thank you part. They just said no. <laughs> yeah, this was at, at a time, 1900 is where, like, they're still trying to figure out what the institution of, like, you know, you always had, I mean, you always had like vaudeville and chitlin service yes. or whatever. Like you, that was always a thing. But Broadway is, is, this is where Broadway is trying to be codified into like a stationary place where you yes. go to the theaters and watch like amazing acts. Which like, is why right? so Bad like, Dancer yeah. Hedda got fired. But yeah, so she got was fired. fired. Yeah. Okay. She, but exactly. She was hired. Um, and then now Flor Florenz Ziegfeld, so we know that uh, Ziegfeld name, uh, he was he had the very famous, uh, the Ziegfeld girls. Now, these were girls who could dance, who were beautiful. Yes. And, you know, they put on sort of like, um, I guess it's the American equivalent of like a Moulin Rouge. Yeah, like the feathers. The, the top nudities. But like, yeah, yeah the really beautiful uh, girls dancing in their legs and stuff. And he had what he called the Ziegfeld Follies. So um, 
So she tried out for that. She's just trying to get work. She's a young girl. So being by virtue of being a young white girl this time, she could at least get an audition. Right. And it was different. (laughs) Like auditions are a lot more open than they are uh, in the modern world. So but I I don't think actors equity was even no there yet. Yeah. No, it hadn't been. created yet and so but even Zigfield referred to her as a clumsy cow <laughs> which is so me but uh, I mean I wouldn't mind being, I wouldn't mind being a clumsy cow on Broadway I'm not gonna lie I know so she appealed to him to be in his uh, famous follies and he's like no no uh so after a few years of you know um bandling about like you know like like just trying to get her foot, her literal foot on a stage. <laughs> she uh, was lucky enough to be able to join the chorus line in a theater company of matinee idol at the time, DeWolf Hopper. Okay. And toured the country. So probably in that time, she managed to get some proper dance training. Figured you know, you have to get out. your your look together. Because I would imagine she's a country girl. She got, you know, you got to get your hair. You're competing against girls who have probably family members who know how to help help them groom and look the part as well yeah. as be able to do the thing. So <laughs> she, uh, none of which she could do. Okay. None of which she could do. So she landed in a company, which is, I mean, landing in a touring company is a big deal. Like that's steady work. Um, yeah. You know, so you're very happy to get in that. But so while they were touring around the country, she quickly realized that just being in the chorus and being and doing understudy jobs was not, is not that's not gonna cut it like that's not real acting and she wanted to act okay you know usually you got into those things because that's a opening and then you get in then you work your way up but again i i think had a again she didn't have the proper training like you know some again she's competing against girls who probably been training since they were like five you know or been working um so but while she was on tour again she realized this wasn't really acting um, but she knew she had to kind of prove herself. So she had to break out in some way. So she heard that Edgar Sowen was casting his play, The Country Boy, for a road tour. So okay. she went to his office. And this is a, the days where you could go into the actual producer's office. I mean, I've seen those movies where they yeah. knock on the door and they say, yeah. look at my breasts. Can I be in your show? And they yeah. say yes. So she went to him and she begged to be given an audition and she actually won the lead. Wow. Okay. So she definitely had improved. Okay. Um, and she was given the role. And not and not to say that just because you don't get the role, it doesn't mean you weren't good. Because we all know a lot of other things go into that, particularly at this time. A lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but she was given a lead in this, in the country board tour, uh, con- country boy tour. And so she went on tour for about 35 weeks uh, throughout 48 states so this was a national tour is a big deal for people who are not in the industry even today a national tour is a big deal yeah um during that so then she studied singing during the summer and in the fall she toured with another show the quaker girl as a second lead oh i wonder if like the quaker you know she's i mean leads are getting landing a lead is a big deal even today so but this is good. You know, if you've been struggling and you got kicked off of just I mean, being I'm, a chorus girl. Like, listen, I'm just jealous. I'm just jealous. I know. That's fine. 
So she's making her way, you know. Um, now, when she wasn't on tour, um, she and DeWolf lived at the Algonquin Hotel in Manhattan. Of so, course they did. DeWolf. I live there, too. Go on. <laughs> DeWolf obviously is has money. And uh, Elda, still Elda, oh yeah. uh, is his girl. So they're living, you know. But one thing about, I will say about uh, Elda slash Hedda, even though being in a relationship with him, it brought her into the, you know, the the company of the likes of John Barrymore, Douglas oh, wow. Fairbanks, and Tallulah Bankhead. Now, these are big names. These are like, yeah. these are like elite, like actors. This is the creme de la creme. And she was able to get, you know, in these rooms in the room where it happened, as it were. In the room uh, where it happened. The room where it happened. <laughs> because of DeWolf being his 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 woman. So whatever happened to the name DeWolf? Like I know. DeWolf. Why don't we name DeWinter. our sons DeWolf, DeWolf. now? Yeah. It's very like. Mm-hmm, I wonder. Uh now <laughs> in nineteen th- in nineteen thirteen, she became the fifth wife of DeWolf, uh, whose previous wives were named Ella, Ida, Edna and Nella. Stop. <laughs> no. so you're funny. you're making this up. Come on. You can't write this shit. Oh my god. <laughs> the similarities in the name. So, as it's you can terrifying. imagine, DeWolf DeWolf is older than her. Than oh Elder. yeah, I figured that. But also Dude, you married women whose names sound alike. So, he would often by mistake call Elda by one of his other his previous <laughs> by, wives. By so names. many other options that are just so much alike. <laughs> <laughs> Which pissed her off, understandably yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, I'd be angry. So this led her to uh a, like reportedly pay a numerologist ten dollars to see what her name because she was gonna change her name. Yeah. And the numerologist came up with Hedda. You know, Hedda Hopper. Hedda so Hopper. that's a very Here we are. It sounds like, uh, and this is before Hollywood became like, this is definitely before the golden age of Hollywood, but when they would do this, they would change your name because yeah, it just yeah. didn't, your name just didn't sound great. So as Wolfie's wife, people called him Wolfie, um, she would hover around the fringes of, again, of these like, you know, the Douglas Fairbanks, John Barrymore, Tallulah Bankhead, like these like bona fide stars, wow. uh, acting stars. Um, but she really wanted to sort of get her way in there. And she even once said uh, she recalled once, quote, I was pitchfork forked right in amongst them, end quote. Uh, and also she a country girl, like in this fabulous Manhattan, like she's just trying to like live up to this kind of thing. She ran away for a reason. She ran to yeah. New York for a reason. She was like, I'm not you. I am them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so even though Wolfie reportedly habitually taunted, cheated on her and simply ignored her, he's a terrible husband, which is why she's his fifth wife. I mean, color <laughs> because... me surprised. I mean, <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Uh, and apparently he has money. So guys like that, even today, feel like they could just treat you any kind of way. But yeah. she, you know, she realized that she had married up um, and she's a smart woman. Even if she was a country bumpkin, she's smart to realize that she had married up. So but in 1915, she gave birth to her son, William. So they had a baby okay. um, now recuperating uh, after the birth. She uh, decided I'm going to really go for it. And she wanted to do movies because, again, this is. Hollywood hasn't really because Birth of a Nation, that fucking movie came out in 1915, sure which did. kind of like uh, 
made Hollywood a thing. And that's in in Hollywood. But so in 1915, the industry Hollywood, quote unquote, hadn't really been a thing. Movies hadn't really they were starting to like become a thing in this time. And she had struggled with uh, stage work. So obviously she's like, okay, well, let me shoot for the movies. Um, It just so happens the following year, DeWolf, um, Wolfie, was uh, offered a lucrative contract from the Triangle Film Company. Okay. Um, Yeah. And he at first wanted her to give up her acting career completely because I want you to be home. I could see that about him. That yeah. feels right. Yeah. I tracks. want you to be home, uh, Ella. Oh, I mean, Hedda. Uh, uh, Ida. I mean, who? Huh? <laughs> I want you home waiting on me doing nothing mm-hmm. but cooking and cleaning and or at least telling the maid where to cook and clean. Listen, while martinis I'm off. don't make themselves. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, he, you know, they had probably been fighting about this for a while. He wanted her to give up her acting career completely. But, you know, she hadn't really made her mark. So she's like, no. So once this contract came through, she actually persuaded him to let her take the female lead in the film. And his first film called The Battle of Hearts okay. um, with um, actually actually this was another project, not his project called The Battle of Hearts with a, a man named William Farnham. And this was her first film. Now talk about privilege. So this is her first film. And she made, (laughs) back then, uh, actors got paid by the week, which they kind of do now. Now, actually, stars, or if you're the lead, you get like a set fee, and then they kind of break it down. But back then, they your salary was like such and such a week, such and such a week. That's how they paid you. Right. Uh, She made $100 a week, which is $1,900 by today's standard a week. Wow. Is it because she's so talented and earned it? I'm just asking for. A I friend. mean, I also think this is why <laughs> she is like, it's it's by marriage. Like she has these opportunities because yeah. certainly, if she was still beating the pavement as a struggling actress, she may not even have gotten an audition for this. Oh um, right, totally. Now the reviews for this film were meh. Okay, all right. <laughs> and her okay. acting in general, we were like meh. Maybe that's uh, why he, maybe he was trying to help her. It's like, baby, you're not good. Maybe. But I will I say mean, also you get better by doing it. That's so, true. That's true. You know, um, so her second film was called The Virtuous, Wi- uh, Virtuous Wives in 1918, okay. uh, where she actually made a splash. Oh, and it's because she realized that she found her. She finally found her lane, like her type. Like, what is she good at playing? Yeah. And her lane was playing society women and being a bitch. <laughs> okay. You know, so, go with your gut. I like it. <laughs> she landed on her brand as you as it were. Yeah, there you now, go. she got the reputation for being a, a bitch from the start, but later it was reported because she decided she would often decide to upstage the the lead actress. Yeah. I know. And in this particular film, yeah, she did it to the lead, um, an actress by the name of Anita Stewart by spending all of her $5,000 salary. So she got that's how much she was going to make on this is what Hedda did on her lavish wardrobe uh, to play. So she 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 she's playing this high society lady. So she she didn't go to wardrobe. She bought all her own stuff. So she'd always which that actually works. Like if you show up looking great. 
I don't know if you've seen Glass Onion. But I have seen Glass Onion. Janelle Monae's outfits are just oh like, my god, mwah. right? Like everyone's outfit, but especially hers and Daniel Craig's outfits are just like they steal yes. the show. They're a different character. No, like when she was walking and it was something was happening, I was like, I just have to say that I love her dress. Uh, Let us keep finding out what happens. And she's in this so movie. gorgeous, Janelle Monae. So it's distracting. Listen, beautiful. she does this great song on Sesame Street, and I will always love her for that song, and I will oh. always think of her for that song. I love Janelle Monae. It's She's about trying really hard. I love her. <laughs> Go on. Me too. Um, so Hedda upstaged the act. She tried to upstage the actress and it, it kind of worked. It got her some attention and people were like, who is that? And this was, so by this time, the film came out was 1920. Okay. By 1920, she was now commanding $1,000 a week as a free agent in New York, which was $1,900 a week. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I say before? The other was so I think a hundred dollars. What? No, nineteen nineteen thousand. Yeah, so hundred dollars was nineteen hundred. So she's making now nineteen thousand by today's money a week. Oh, that's not yeah. bad. I could handle no. that. I yeah. would know what to do. Yeah, I wouldn't. No. though. I would like travel and like buy shit. Okay, you know, you know, Hedda was spending all that money because again, she's married, so her husband's well, making money too. Well, she's married to a rich man, so she can yeah. do what she wants. Yeah. But by 1922, she and Wolfie were divorced. But when you marry a rich man, alimony is good. Yeah, it is. That's it's true. Good. Not going to lie. So in 1923, she moved to Hollywood. She, so she moved out here to L.A. and became a contract player for Louis B. Mayer at MGM. Ah. Now, that's okay. big time. Yeah, that's big time. Uh, she went on to appear in more than 120 films. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Again, this is still the silent era, so they would do a lot more films. They would crank out films. This is the heyday of Hollywood. They would crank out films like once a week. Like they were doing oh, that's it. But 120, that's, so that's pretty impressive. That's a yeah. that's an actual, that's a real career, acting career. Um, but in the mid-30s, uh, her career started to struggle. Uh, she, you know, she's getting older. She turned 26. My God, what is she still I doing? I know, right? And her steady income started to, you know, wane a little bit. Uh, so she was looking for other ways to make money. Because uh, also at this time, she's accustomed to living a certain lifestyle. Mm, I understand. Yeah. I don't though, but I want to be. I, I know. Right? Uh, in 1935, she she agreed to write a weekly uh, Hollywood gossip column for the Washington Herald at fifty dollars a week, which is equivalent to a thousand dollars today. Is anyone looking for someone else to write a gossip column? Because I I'll take the thousand. I mean, now I will I'll say just she make was, shit up, but go on. Yeah, she was used to making nineteen hundred dollars a week, and now she's making mm. fifty. So um, annoying. I know. Um, but she refused. So it lasted for about four mo months and then they were going to cancel it. They actually canceled it because she refused to take a pay cut of $15, which was would be $300. Oh, so that's a lot of money, though. That's like, a, yeah, if you're making a thousand and they're like, now you want to make 700 for the same amount of work. That's that, a big cut. I, that's, that's, that hurts. That hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Now, two years later, though, she was in 1937. She was offered another gossip column because that one was actually successful. Um, but this one was for the Los Angeles Times. Oh, OK. And her column was entitled Hedda Hopper's Hollywood. OK. Hedda Hopper's <sighs> Hollywood. 
Sounds that name good. change is great. Mm. Yeah. Now, which debuted on St. Valentine's Day, 1938. Now, this is white privilege for your ass. Hedda <laughs> was a country farm girl who had snagged a rich husband back in New York, got into the upper echelons of society as a result of it, got an acting career, then comes out to Hollywood and, you know, she works. And But then Hedda got this column and I wonder if that's why they wanted her to take a pay cut before at the other place. She couldn't type oh, or spell Lord. very well. Oh, girl. Okay. All right. So she would dictate her column to a typist over the phone. <laughs> This is some white privilege for your ass. That is the definition in the dictionary of what is white privilege. It's Hedda Hopper and her on the phone dictating because she can't even write, writing for a column. And I would say that for a young woman who was not born into wealth, not to know how to type is really unusual for back then. I'm wondering with all of the money that she was making, like all of that money, was there no class she could have taken? No. no not like one, not one. And, and nobody was... got time for that. Oh, I'm a rich lady, okay. bitches. I'm rich. I'm sorry. My bad. Um, now, so now at the time, who Luella Parsons is another gossip columnist who predated Hedda. Luella was actually the queen of it. And one day we'll do a story on her as well. She was actually the queen of gossip columns in Hollywood. Like she was the one that was known, even though there are plenty of uh, black women doing it or other people doing it. But she would she became and some and some white men. But she was like the queen of this kind of thing. But she had been doing it for a while. So she was older than Hedda. So Hedda's like the new young chippy that's coming Mm. in. And she possibly got this job. Yeah. As uh, for the for the uh, newspaper as a a counter person to Luella Parsons, Um, because Luella had a monopoly on the Hollywood gossip like list. Uh, But Hedda, because of her acting experience, used her extensive, you know, relationships and and contacts that she had forged during her acting days uh, to gather materials for her column. So she knew a lot of people. So they would talk to her. And she could get the ah, scoop on stuff. Yeah. yeah. Now, now her, did, Lu- did Luella work for the Los Angeles Times or no? No, she worked okay. for, uh, oh God, who's the guy that uh, Rosebud uh, oh, is Orson named Wells. after? Uh, but Orson Welles is, that story is based oh. on, oh God, what's his name? Um, Citizen, um, Luella, Luella worked for him, basically. Okay. Okay. And one of his papers. So, and now they're going to, I know somebody's yelling at us and we're supposed yep. to be in Hollywood. We should know this. Hearst? Yeah. Is it Hearst? Hearst. It's Hearst. It yes. is Hearst. Yes. So William Randolph Hearst. So, That's so it. Luella worked for him. Um, and so basically, and okay. so Hedda though, again, she had a lot of contacts so people could talk to her because of her acting career. Cause she did have a successful acting career. I don't care what yeah. people say. Like that's successful. Um, now her first major scoop in an, uh, in a national, on a national level was in 1939. She printed that President Franklin Roosevelt's son, James Roosevelt, was divorcing his wife, Betsy, after being Ooh. caught in an affair with the nurse at the Mayo Clinic. Wow. So that was a juicy, 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 juicy Dang. story. Okay. Yeah. 
So now part of her public image was, so again, this is a woman that comes from uh, acting. She knows how to play the part. She knows. And that also is what eventually will give her an edge on Luella, who didn't come from performing. Oh, okay. Um, but who could probably type. <laughs> As a writer of a newspaper column. That's that. That feels... Like a like a necessary skill, but that's yeah. just me, obviously. Okay, <laughs> but Hedda knew how to play the to reinvent herself and and create an image. She understood yeah. the importance of that, so she was known for her uh, for wearing very extravagant hats. Oh, uh, so much so that the IR <laughs> that the IRS gave her um, an annual tax credit of five thousand dollars, which would be a hundred thousand dollars today. Oh, huh. What? For her hats as a work expense. Oh, my God. I mean, technically, it would I be. Mean, she could write it off. Okay. I'm okay. I mean, okay. 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 Fine. Okay. Fine. Go on. That's fine. And Must be nice. She, Go on. I know. White privilege. <laughs> her. She was so, so synonymous with these weird looking hats that during World War II, the Nazis used photographs of her in these extravagant hats for propaganda as sit, as symbols of American decadence. Oh, my God. You guys <laughs> see, this is why we can't have nice things. Because Hitler's going to use you for propaganda. Holy shit. Use you for propaganda. Jesus. I'm just what? OK. I know. I know. <laughs> So she okay. So now her annual salary was about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, five million dollars by today's standards. I can't even breathe for what? gossiping. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. But you know what the truth is? I keep joking that I want that job, but I could not do that job. Like the reality is I'd be like, oh, no, I won't tell anybody. And then where where's my money? It's nowhere because I wrote nothing down. Also, because like you you do like now we have PR firms and and publicists are very, very important. And these these ladies actually predated publicists and PR firms uh, because they were kind of like um, like what's the word I'm looking for? They were. informal PR machines. I so mean, if yeah. you wanted to get good PR, you would be nice. You would kiss up to them. So uh, I see. They, I see. they're the ones the the way they operated in this time and for, and, and, and lasted for decades um, is kind of like led to the rise of the current of the, of the uh, modern PR firm in the Okay. Publicist. I lied. I could totally do that. Okay. Yeah. I'm back to making $5 million a year. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, which this this five million dollars a year enabled her to live an extravagant lifestyle and maintain a mansion in Beverly Hills, which she described as, quote, the house that fear built, end quote. Oh, she sounds lovely. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, I just want to take a moment here again to state not you can't overstate how powerful Hedda and Luella were. Okay. They they ruled Hollywood. Even the studio heads were afraid of them. Wow. Because they really? would plant if they if they let's say the studio heads whenever they had a new starlet or star hunk that they wanted to promote, they would send them, they would set them up with an interview with with uh, Luella or Hedda okay. and with the hopes that they would give them good press. And that's what makes a star. Like they could really make you a star. Right. But they yeah. could also fuck you up. 
they I can see. also fuck you up and they could give your they could uh give you your your project your movie bad press um the only thing that made this bearable is that both luella and hedda hated each other so oh. <laughs> the people could play <laughs> off of them ah. but as it kind of reminds me of like stan culture on twitter so luella stands hated Lu- uh uh hedda stands so I if see. you okay. were a star and you were and one of them liked you the other one really didn't like you so they would just ignore you yeah you couldn't really win yeah you couldn't i mean you would try as a star your whole thing is to be at least cordial and not you know get one of them mad at you but they were but i think that's the only thing that made this uh, tenable for uh people in hollywood is that they hated each other so they were kind of fighting and that kind of kept you if you were smart to kind of navigate that that kind of thing um but again a mention in one of their columns was like gold to studio heads publicists, and uh, there were publicists but they didn't have the kind of power that luella and hedda had um so they had over because together they commanded 75 million readers and newspapers what? and radio listeners. Wow. At the time, that's half the country. That's that's insane. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And even while she was doing her column, Hedda continued to act. Beginning in 1939, oh. she had an acting role in a soap opera, a radio soap opera playing Portia Brent on the Blue Network's Brent House. Okay. Uh, later that same year, she d- debuted her own radio program called The Hedda Hopper Show. Sponsored by Sun Kissed. Um, <laughs> and it was heard on CBS radio three times a week for 15 minutes until 1942. Was now, it an acting show or was it? No, like no, a- no. It's, it's her gossip column. Oh, kind of okay. thing. You know, it kind of reminds me of like, is it Cindy Adams from like the 90s? Cindy Adams yes. and like, or like Life Souls of the Rich and Famous. Yes. Was yes. it champagne dreams and no caviar, caviar dreams, dreams and, champagne and champagne wishes? Yeah, champagne that's a terrible wishes accent. and caviar dreams. Mine was also a terrible accent. Yes, yeah. terrible. Uh, really but bad. it's that kind of thing. Again, these ladies were the precursor to those modern iterations of this. Ah, you know what? I would have loved it. I would have yeah. loved it. I, I watched ever... What's His Face all the time. Yeah, and I was you, like, cause... I'm gonna have a mansion one day, but I didn't. That did not happen. <laughs> And this is, again, you know, people are like, ooh, the fancy, what are the fan, my favorite Hollywood star doing, right? It's just right, all yeah. this, like, stuff around it. And so, like, I want to pretend that I'm, like, better. Like, I, I would not listen to that and I would not read that. But that would be such a lie. I would 100% follow it, listen yeah. to it, be like, oh my God, you like that? That is me. Know yourself. Oh. You'd eat it. You'd be eating it up. I would too. Oh, like hundred percent. She and she had several. These these radio programs are very successful. She uh, then moved on to um, uh, ABC, and then she moved back to CBS. And like we won't go into it, but she she had like these. She was very very successful. In uh, 1946, her weekly 15 uh, minute program was called This Is Hollywood, and okay. it was sponsored by Procter and Gamble, which ran until 1947. Again, all of this, yeah, she's making money from the column. She's making money from the radio program. She is making money. Now, I've already kind of hinted at this, but I won't beat around the bush. 
this woman's a bitch. This woman's okay. terrible. She's a bully. Not a bitch because oh. we like bitches. She's a bully. We do like bitches. We don't like bullies. Yeah. Yeah. She was hated but respected and feared. She wielded a lot of power to either build you up or break you down. She okay. was besties with Joan Crawford, whose <laughs> career suffered in the early 1940s after she was labeled box office poison. But in 1945, when uh, Hedda reprinted a press release for Mildred Pierce in her column, and it yeah. described Crawford as a leading contender for the Best Actress uh, nomination, she was credited, Hedda, with swinging the decision in Crawford's favor. Oh, when she wow. won the award. Okay. Damn, she has power. Yeah. Okay. So she was doing this, this sort of, it kind of started that whole thing of like lobbying the Academy for the Oscar race. It kind of yeah. kicked all that off. I was just thinking that, that it's like, yeah. it that I always thought it was like, oh, people watched your movies and they decided no. that is so much more. You have to campaign for it. And it started yeah. kind of with this thing that Hedda did for Joan Crawford. Okay. Now, though lucrative, her job uh, caused a lot of enemies. And she's just a nasty person, too. Though though she yeah. had uh, a very glamorous image, like you said, this is uh, this is hard work. It's it's kind of seedy and dirty and because you're spreading rumors about people. Yeah. Like there's secrets that are private. You know, it it's. I don't think you can do this job without getting some dirt on you because I think that's just the nature of the job. But I also yeah. think she reveled in being dirty and nasty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm getting yeah. that. I'm getting that. Actress uh, Zazu Pitts compared Hopper to a ferret. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and once Joan Bennett sent Hopper a $435 valentine um, and the $35 went for uh, to buy a skunk that carried oh. a note which uh, th which had on it, won't you be my Valentine? Nobody else will. I stink and so do you, end quote. <laughs> this is wow. what the just said. Damn. Hedda, yeah. Hedda, again, reveling in this, said, without missing a beat, she reportedly commented that the skunk, quote, was beautifully behaved, end quote. And then she later... She uh, later gave the skunk to James Mason and his wife as a present. <laughs> I, what? What? I don't even know what you just said. What? Wow. Okay. She took it in stride. Um, now, in 1950, her show on NBC was expanded beyond 30 minutes and became a variety series called The Hedda Hopper Show. And okay. it ran into 1952. Um, now, you know, and again... The inspiration for telling you guys about Hedda this week is from like these Marjorie Taylor Greens, these Ugh. Lauren Bro, like these women who are just awful and loud and wrong. And I was like, this is like the Hedda Hopper, like is like she started poster it. child for that kind of thing, just loud and wrong and just, but with a big, unlike these ladies so far, people knew she was kind of full of it, but she's just, but she had a, a she had a lot of power. She had a large reach. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very similar situation. Like yeah. the whole like making shit up. Like yeah. same thing. Making yep. shit up to get on a headline. Yeah. Okay. Or like a lot. Like I know bloggers, you know, some are, you know, there's one thing about like legitimate like entertainment that we all kind of know, like the, the public's in on it nowadays, but some bloggers are just nasty and they do it yeah. for the clicks. They yep. put up the. Because they make more money. You know, 
So she was like the original her and she was actually considered nastier than Luella. Luella was considered uh, more of a journalist who kind of played. She was a little bit nicer. And okay. Luella actually would play when we get into her. I'll do her one day. Um, she's like she kind of did like a ditzy kind of thing. And so Hedda, at, in comparison, was known as the nastier one, I think. But everyone was afraid okay. of both of them. But Hedda was considered the nasty one. Now, like, again, this is a yeah. farm girl from Podunk, as we would say here in the States, nowhere, right? Who goes to New York, marries, da, 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 becomes a Hollywood actress. Like, she's living the dream, but she's also just personally a nasty person. So she's a snob. She is just, she is climbing a ladder. She's just spent her whole 16, yeah. ran away, found, found the first rung, and just kept, but never looked down. Never looked down. And up and I up also think, goes. and you know, how they say that success doesn't change you. It just exemplifies it. It highlights who you already are. I think yeah. that's because not only was she a yeah. snob, she was a racist. <gasps> what? Shocked. No. no, I thought we got rid of that. <laughs> <laughs> In 1958, while interviewing Sidney Poitier, mm, she asked she if he could sing. Okay. Because, quote, so many of your people do, end quote. And when he replied, no, he could not. She Uh replied, quote, you're the first one I've ever met who says he can't sing. I've never known any of your people who couldn't sing, end quote. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. What what did did Sydney do? I I like to imagine. Just be black and be in the same space as her. I mean. (laughs) I just imagine like he just stand up, turn around and walk out the room. Like that's what, but, but he again, do you that, can't sure. like, you can't ignore you can't. this woman because she has so much power. Right. right. Like, so he had this to be is like, like, yeah, like I would imagine like Sidney Poitier is the height of like, like black excellence at this time. He's like, oh, yeah. it's probably the year he was nominated like for his first Academy Award. Like, and she's that white person that comes up to you and is like, can you sing? Can you do some tap dancing? If you could just entertain me, like can I you know speak you speak in Ebonics. It's like, woman, and you know he probably just trying to oh laugh it off, I and know. then she's just like, yeah, I don't um, understand. You're the first. Oh, yeah, that's now, not real. Oh my god, girl! You're I tell the you, first. she's the epitome That's because you've talked Karen. to two black people, and this is the second. I cannot. No. Okay. What also makes her, if that's not bad enough, she, um, if that's not bad enough, she then what's probably the thing that makes her most notorious other than being like, cause up until this point, she's just like a gossipy, bitchy gossip yeah. columnist, right? Even though I think that that's kind of like a sexist, sexist connotation because I think society, uh, resented these women for having this kind of power, even though she wielded it very, like in a very nasty way. Yeah. Um, but she was she really is notorious for her activities during World War Two. Oh, OK. So yep, let's do this. Go, during girl. World War Two, her only yep. child, William, uh, he served in the uh, Navy. Um, for what and, side? For what side? No, he's American. He's American. <laughs> OK. okay. I don't but know how far we're going off a cliff here. Go on. No, but she chastised <laughs> Douglas Fairbanks, Jr., whose father she knew right. um, because she thought that he was shirking his duty. Uh, to the country when he, I mean, he enlisted, but she just was just after him. Like, why? 
like she didn't feel like he's patriotic enough. So you know oh, where I'm going. Okay, yeah, I do. Go on. He's not patriotic enough. Not mm. like her son William. No, of course not. Now, um, he so Fairbanks Jr. recalled in his memoirs, uh, Salad Days, that he was already in uniform, serving in the British Royal Navy, and despised Hopper for her insinuations. Um, and so. He was serving on the same side, right? Yeah, Even the Allied the British. were like a couple of different countries. But she, she's one of these people that she was an isolationist. She's just one of those people who she, that, before the war, she didn't think America should get involved. And then after we got involved, then she's, you're not patriotic enough. Now, side note, her son, William, would, he would survive. He would later go on to play Bill Drake in the Perry Mason series. Oh, okay. <laughs> Some random side note. Um, so I'm just going to say it. She was a, a, a right winger. I mean, she, are you shocked? No, no, I'm not shocked. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm the normal sad that I always get when we come yeah. to this point and we find out about this from this. If she know, were alive today, this bitch would run for office. This bitch would be in Congress right now. Yep. Yep. She, so not only was she like, you know, a staunch like isolationist, America first, da da da. She also strongly supported the House Un American Activities Committee. Of AKA. course she did. Of course. Kuak. You know, like Lauren Bobert and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Hedda Hopper would be like the three besties. Yeah. They would be like, girl, you look so white and thin today. <laughs> Thank you, girl. So do you. Yay. Yeah. I saw someone with a tan. Ew, gross. I know, right? I think they're Jewish or black or something. Run! You know, that's that's what would be today. She, and for those of you who don't know, the House Un-American um, Activities Committee, HUAC, were the committee uh, responsible for the black, the Hollywood blacklist that ruined, it, destroyed. it ruined a ton of people's careers. Yeah. Um, and so she was one of the, she was in like, she was in with them. Those were her besties. Yeah. Um, as a lot of people in Hollywood were, were as, uh, Ronald Reagan was, um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. and, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, John Wayne. Um, yeah. he was but gay these, by the way. Anyways, go on. Yeah. But these <laughs> people, so she, I, I think he, I think he would. I, I think he would say he was bisexual, actually. You know, my, my point is that he should not be pointing fingers. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but. Y'all, okay. So, HUAC, uh, they they had 35 million strong readership. Um, I mean, no, she had a 35 million strong oh, readership, okay. and she used it to basically be her column to be the mouthpiece for HUAC. Ugh, and basically disgusting for, and I hate they will go around and accuse people of being communists, which is so ironic because these people love Putin nowadays. But I just oh, think yeah. this is They're ironic. Like big Putin fans. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm just like Make America yeah. great again. Also, go Putin. You know, like mm. Yeah. Mm. But these people, so they would use Huac was they were trying to root out communism yeah. and they thought anybody or people with communist sympathies and they thought uh anybody who may have, who may be uh gay queer yeah uh who were for um civil rights who were for i was gonna say any liberal tendency would get anything, you on into, into the courthouse for a trial yeah. will get you 
uh, accused of, and then you would, once you were accused of them, you couldn't ignore them. You had to be brought in to yep. testify and then name names. Yep. They were just and a if, nasty, nasty bunch. This is disgusting. the red. Yeah, this is uh, the blacklist. This is the red scare McCart led by McCarthy. All of the stuff you can think about. They, they made a wonderful movie about, uh, uh called, uh, Trombo and one oh, of yeah. her, one of her famous victims was Dalton Trombo, who she just she had a vendetta out for him. Uh, she consistently gave him negative coverage because he had uh, a, he was a card member of the Communist Party, which this Communist Party sympathizers believed in equal rights. I mean, the, all that's the, the liberal that's the kind thing of that stuff. I, I really feel like has not been told like I learned about who yeah. in school and like, Oh, and then you think like, well, I wouldn't be called up because I'm not a communist. No, no, no. Their definition of communism was anything that pushed for any sort of equal rights, equal uh, fairness in wages and yep. living standards, yep. uh, the, like any like environmental support. Like, yep. I mean, that wasn't so big then, but like anything that, Civil rights, as you social said, programs, like, social like, progress. Yep. Social progress was considered communist. Yep. Motherfuckers. Um, okay, go she on. also she also hated Charlie Chaplin, who was British. I don't know if a lot of people know that Charlie Chaplin was British. Um, and she hounded him. I mean, he did have some problematic issues with younger women. Yeah, he but- wasn't like. You know, feminist. it wasn't perfect, but um, you don't have to be perfect to be a victim. Exactly. Uh, and also she hated that he wouldn't uh, recuse his British citizenship uh, because she considered in an act of ingratitude towards a country which had given him so much. She's such a why bitch. You, why are you in this man business? Why business? And I Go- said business. Why are you in Charlie Chaplin's business? Okay. Like, uh, walk away. Yeah. Let him fall off the train in 500 different funny ways. Okay? Yeah, I, I know, right? Just Those Charlie like, Chaplin movies are really great, They're by so the good. Way. Get some popcorn, sit down, shut the fuck up. Like, what's the problem? They're so good. And also, like, yeah, America, he made a lot of money. But I'm sure Charlie Chaplin made American businessmen a lot of money in Hollywood. Um, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You just can saying. probably guarantee it. Yeah. Um, she also, uh, now if you got on her bad side, she would turn on you. So Ingrid Bergman, which are, which is one of my favorites. I love Ingrid Bergman. Um, she initially had a loved her, gave her positive, uh, uh, coverage. She, she just loved her. She, she was one of her fans. Okay. Um, and she supported the actress in her column throughout the 1940s, but she became enraged when Bergman lied to her about being pregnant in an interview they had uh, with married director Roberto Rossellini okay. while she was still married to another man. So it was a scandal. Like, it was a big, why would you, why would you tell scandal. the person who writes everything down <laughs> yeah. a secret? Yeah. None of your business, Hannah. Turn around, get out of the room, walk away. Okay. This woman, but I mean, it's part of her job, but also because she felt like she, Ingrid had betrayed her by not being honest with her and giving her the scoop. And it's like, well, Ingrid also is obviously is still married to another man. Obviously something's going to like, why are you in her business? Why are you in her business? You know what, bitch? It's not about you. It's just, it's not about you. It's not about you. 
But the thing about her that it kind of enrages me (laughs) about her is that for all her awfulness and just being part of HUAC and being racist and just being like a terrible, terrible Karen, she never really saw the consequences of her actions. She won Uh. in the end. I mean, she got her feelings hurt occasionally. Um, No one can see my eye roll, but it was very massive. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, once someone told her that because of all her like extreme conservatism in Hollywood, people privately called her a Nazi. And she wrote and she said, apparently she cried and replied, quote, Jay, all I've ever tried to be was a good American, end quote. Uh, Screenwriter Jay Bernstein uh, told her that like, but it's like, but you're acting like a Nazi. Those white tears (laughs) require so much support. I mean, those white tears are getting everywhere. It's so it's sad. Like, where's where's my tiny me, violin? I can't even find I, it. Miriam took out the tiny violin before I could take it out. In we your mansion in Beverly Hills. <laughs> I don't, I mean, if you don't want people to call you a Nazi, stop acting like a fucking Nazi. Like, you know, so. Amanda, can I, can anyway. I quote, can I quote you on that? Because that's, that's a good one. Yeah, stop acting like a Nazi. That's a very. Like. Like that problem solves a lot, actually. If you don't want and everyone also, to think you're a Nazi, stop acting like a fucking stop Nazi. Stop acting like a Nazi. Yeah. And the fact that she used the whole blacklist debacle and the fear surrounding all of that, I think people can't. I, I hope our audiences uh, check out um, You Must Remember This by uh, Karina Longworth podcast. It's an excellent oh, it's a podcast. Great podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She, Karina, is a, a Hollywood historian and she really puts the blacklist thing in perspective like i think it's hard for us in our modern world uh view to understand how this destroyed people's lives and hedda basically used it to to ruin the lives of her quote enemies yeah and that the thing that gets me too which i think that's why it's so important is that people people have no sympathy for hollywood stars right because they have right millionaire there's so many different millions of forms of income and blah blah blah, blah. No, no, no. They lost everything. They lost yeah. everything. The blacklist destroyed a lot of people's yeah. lives who were just trying to like be decent people or just didn't have terrible racist views and they were being punished for it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and again, nothing is clear cut in any case, but everyone can acknowledge that the blacklist was used. It was a witch hunt. When people say yeah. witch hunt, it's a witch hunt. It really yeah. was. Um, and so despite like being a troll, she yeah. lived her best life. Oh, she God. went on to continue acting, oh. uh, she, throughout her life. She wrote, uh, best-selling books. Her autobiography from under my hat was published in 1952. Um, also the whole truth and nothing but was uh, <laughs> published in 1962. Okay. That bitch right there. Okay. <laughs> Fuck off. Hedda. Yep. I cannot. This is why people are upset about quote unquote woke culture, which is quote unquote for black or like it's like cold war for black or liberal. It really is yeah. what it is. Yeah. Because people like that haven't had any pushback. But because of places like social media where people could film you being awful in the mm-hmm. moment. Yep. Or put you on blast and yep. you get consequences for your actions. They're mad about, quote unquote, woke politics. Yep. But like, if you weren't an asshole, 
Yeah. It wouldn't be a problem. Yep. So, no. you know. So she went on to write, uh, she produced, uh, and right into the day she died, producing six daily columns and a Sunday column for the Chicago Tribune, uh, syndicate uh, that became syndicated as well as, as well as writing numerous articles for celebrity magazines. By the mid sixties, though, her readership had waned. Good. Um, <laughs> and on February 1st, 1966, Hedda Hopper died of double pneumonia at the age of 80 at Cedars of Lebanon Hospital in Hollywood. Okay. She's buried at the Rose Hill Cemetery uh, in Altoona, Pennsylvania, for her contribution to oh. the motion picture industry. She has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Uh, <laughs> now, to put her life in, in, in like a final, like, quote... The actress Merle Auburn uh, once asked Hedda, what inspired, quote, what inspired all the vicious things you've been writing about me? End quote. Hedda replied, quote, bitchery, dear, dear, sheer bitchery. End quote. So. I, you know, I just, okay, you know, damn. Now, one final note, I'm just going to say, so Hedda obviously is a, a Hollywood institution. She has a Hollywood walk, a, a star on the Walk of Fame. She has actually been played by numerous women in television and film. In 1985, oh, really? yeah. yeah, Jane Alexander received a Primetime Emmy Award nomination for portraying um, Hedda in the television film Malice in Wonderland opposite <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor. Okay. Elizabeth Taylor plays Luella Parsons. Oh, I would remember saying this film. about their yeah their yes. their rivalry in 1999. Rue McClanahan, the famous <gasps> yes. Blanche yes. Uh, from the Golden Girls, played um, uh, a character called Priscilla uh, Tremaine of a thinly veiled version of uh, Hedda Hopper on the AMC uh, show uh, no film The Lot, a comedic limited series uh, show about the golden age of Hollywood. In 1999, okay. Fiona Shaw played uh, in the movie RKO 281, uh, played her. Helen Mirren played uh, her in Trombo, the film by okay. Jay Roach. And then in uh, 2016, Tilda Swinton played, and I love this movie, Hell Caesar. I'm a big Coen Brothers fan. Um, she played a version of this, which is, it, she played this character called Thora and another character called Thessaly, who were twin sisters who were gossip columnists who hated each other. Oh my God. So That's she kind of played both Hedda yeah. and Luella. Uh, <laughs> and they both, when you watch the movie, they, they both, oh, like one has these really weird hats and the other, yeah, it's really well done. It was very uh, much Tilda an Swinton homage, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in 2017, the first season of Feud, um, she was played by the great Judy Davis, who nailed her. I think when I think of Hedda Hopper, oh, yeah. I think of the Judy Davis performance in uh, the uh, Ryan Murphy show feud uh, that was about the rivalry between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. And Judy Davis played Hedda Hopper in that. And so, but in my mind, I always think of when I think of Hedda Hopper now, I think of Judy Davis. Okay. <laughs> she played her so well. Uh, so that is my notorious women, Heather Hopper, like wow, a troll who never got her comeuppance and who made a lot of money. Damn. Sometimes evil pays. I mean, it's so sad, but it's so true. <laughs> this girl, like she did not ever feel an ounce of sadness for any. I mean, of her I think she may days. have. 
like on a personal level but not she was unrepentant she was an unrepentant Mm. troll like i mean she may have been someone who just felt like she had to do what she had to do but like oh yeah 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 you know some bitches are bitches you know like i mean the mental gymnastics of like of you know you always make sense you, you always make excuses for what you do right like no one thinks they're a bad person but that's true. But I have to say, like, because there's a lot in in this might be controversial, but like in feminism, where it's like if women rule the world, like girl boss, like okay, like we would do it. But listen, we're all people, okay? Yeah. It's not about that. We want to give women the opportunity to do all the things. Yeah. Sometimes that means they're going to be assholes. You know? Yeah. I mean, I admired her for being a career woman. Yes. At a I time do. where, you know, both her and Luella, like, you know, they were very powerful. And that's why, you know, the whole even thing, gossip columnist, it has that sort of connotation. And I think because society resented these women for having this kind of power. I think but the way was, she wielded yeah. her power is the problem. And Luella seemingly did it without being a horrific, horrible human. And I think, you know. Yeah, up, and I think Luella the HUA committee, you know, like yeah, right. Come right. on, like you lost me at HUA, you know. You, she lost me at that, like that, and then like because even the racist stuff. People say I'm too forgiving, but I'm like she's of that time that you know she's that. When she's saying that to Sydney Poitier, you think, oh, it's harmless, right? But then I it's mean, the it's the HUAC stuff that you're like, oh no, this bitch is evil. Like, I mean, I you know what I mean? Say, like, I wouldn't say that it's harmless. I wouldn't go that far. But I mean, it's still harmful, right? We're well, still... it's sort of like it's sort of like well, that's how she grew up, you right. know. And she you... listen, and I give people grace on that. Like, if if someone says doesn't say the right use the right verbiage with me, and they like, what's this lady? Uh, use the word colored and this was like five mm. or six years ago and i was like oh. colored we're, we're in 1955 what? like she didn't mean it as like a slur but right. like but i was like who's as color and this was a not a not a really young woman but not an old lady and so like if an older person used that term i'd be like oh because when they were coming up right. that term that, was used until was they were like 30 right like yes but like they and in their mind, colored is not a, a slur. And then, like somebody called me colored and they're like, I don't know, four under 40. I'd be like, that's no. a slur. Like what? No. Like, like, cause you know better, but, right. but it's the who act stuff, the stuff that like, you know, she thought of herself, or even with like, you know, again, with Charlie Chaplin, I can understand her being like that motherfucker there with these young girls. I'm going to have to stop this. But she wasn't upset with him for the girls, the young girl stuff. I think she was upset with him more that he wasn't an American too. Yep. That wasn't her problem. And she didn't, she didn't bring that up. That was not what she took issue with. I would give her some credit if she did. That was, I can't give her any credit. She, that was her way to take him down uh, because it did work. She was able to take him down for that, but she was upset at him for other reasons it's it's the america first kind of thing that's like this patriotism it's like we're all in america we don't have to walk around with american flags on our hats on our shirts on our like i make fun of that a lot when i go around town and i'm like did you forget where you lived is that why your flag 
is on your truck? Because yeah, I, you know, I can like just Twitter tell you, you where see, we are. <laughs> when you see people in it in their bio, you're like, oh god, like yeah, I get it, like. Yeah, it's like, I mean, so anyway, I mean, she's just, she's problematic as fuck. And like, the thing is that she never got her comeuppance, really, though. She I mean, got I away like with it and like, like, not one thing, not one lawsuit, not one, not no. one being told off. No, not one. Living her fabulous, living her Damn. best troll life in, uh, in Beverly Hills. I'm just saying, like, I mean, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that wraps up another episode of Notorious Women. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We sure did, right? Yeah, we did. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love it. <laughs> I, I hope love you it. do too. Yes. And uh, guys, remember to give us a five star review wherever on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you get this podcast. You can find us in, in the iTunes store and wherever you get your podcasts. And then Miriam will tell you. Uh, how another way to I will and also when you give us those five stars thank you so much can you like write a little blurb be like hey that's so cool they're my favorite people um okay what all right I was ready and now I'm not all right our gmail is ah hold on so I have this thing here that tells me where (laughs) what it is here's the thing like you should know your gmail right I should but my brain does not always work. It just doesn't. Maybe that's relatable. Maybe it's not. But I'm laughing at you because it's very relatable. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Makes me feel better. I found it. I found it. Okay. Our Gmail is notoriouswmpod at gmail.com. Also, our Instagram is notoriouswomenpodcast. Please come to there. Follow, Follow us. Follow us. There. Like everything we post. Like all the things. Yeah. And I also want to reiterate, uh, share this with your, um, um, you know, download us, but share this also with your friend, uh, friends, friendly, friends, family, and loved ones. Um, and to make it easier, even for your friends, um, copy the link and send it to them. Text it to them. WhatsApp them. Do you know how Lavetta knows this? Because early back in the day when I couldn't figure out how to find a podcast, that's what she did for me. I'll just tell you. I'll just share. Because that's that's what happened. And that's why she knows that that's the best way. Because Miriam was like, I don't know what to put. It was sad. But it's no, true. No, I'm saying because people are busy. And so sometimes you'll tell them a podcast. And then they'll be like, oh, that sounds great. But then they'll forget the name of the podcast yep. when, they think, when they have time. So just Thank send it to them so they can just click it. Touch Thank it. you for excusing that. Rub it, Appreciate flip that. it, rub it, rub it down. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> um, <laughs> we we don't mind if you flip it, rub it, rub our podcast yeah, down. No, do whatever it, you gotta do. It. Yeah, no, it's fine. Rock out in your own home. Do yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we support everyone. Okay. <laughs> no kink shame in here. Do no, you, baby? You rock it out. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. That wraps it up, and we will see you next week. Yes, we will. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.